You are listening to a podcast produced by the Jackson School of International Studies and the Ellison Center for Russian, East European, and Central Asian Studies at the University of Washington. This and other podcasts can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information, visit us at jsis.washington.edu slash Ellison Center. Well, thank you, Ryan. Uh, I will begin with that uh, uh, chart that you had uh, at the beginning of your opening uh, remarks in in which you uh, listed all sorts of uh, international organizations. And I could not see on that chart, I may just have missed it, uh, the uh, Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, which has not been mentioned one time in this whole uh, event. uh, this whole program today, uh, I suppose, because it is essentially more of a now. It was pretty much killed uh, in 2014 when uh, Putin uh, sent troops into uh, uh, Crimea. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, for me, it's a it's a it's a starting point. Uh, uh, the uh, OSCE grew out of the Helsinki uh, Accords of 1975. Uh, and uh, has uh, became a, a, a formal organization that before the, uh, up until 1994, it was the Conference on Security and Cooperation in Europe. And after 1994, uh, the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. And it's uh, deeply uh, connected to all sorts of uh, uh agreements within the OSCE system, but also arms control agreements, the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, a transfer of nuclear weapons uh, from uh, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, and Belarus to the Russian Federation, uh, unification of Germany, the Conventional Forces in Europe Treaty. So uh, 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 this is, if, if you want to say, what's the main international effect of this war? It is completely wiped out uh, the OSCE as an organization uh, which was uh, set up uh, to both uh, celebrate uh, and uh, perpetuate uh, a Europe whole and free. That was the phrase uh, commonly used in multiple languages uh, at the end of the Cold War. And, that, and the point was to link uh, the former parts of uh, uh, communist Western uh, Eurasia, really going up to the Chinese border and the Pacific Ocean and the Central Asian states, uh, into this organization, uh, which uh, is still there nominally. It has 57 uh, members and some partners, and some of the partners are really important, South Korea, uh, Japan, a little further south, uh, Australia, but it really covers uh, the, the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, that's because the United States and Canada are members of this organization. So it's Northern Eurasia. Uh, and this, the whole point here was to uh, uh, prevent uh, 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 war from uh, happening uh, again uh, uh, on the scale of the First World War, the Second World War, on the scale of the Cold War. Uh, the first test was in U- Yugoslavia, a former communist zone of the Balkans, and the OSCE was badly uh, wounded uh, uh, in that exercise. 
uh, it did not form uh, particularly uh, uh, effectively, but it, it still uh, uh, conducted meetings and so forth. Uh, and uh, so all of that uh, uh, is uh, is gone. The uh, uh, OSCE is connected with a, a document uh, signed in Paris uh, in 1990, the Charter of Paris, which talked about uh, a, a Europe uh, whole and free. Uh, and uh, at that same time, Germany was unified. Uh, that's an interesting uh, uh, case now as we look at uh, unifying uh, uh, parts of Ukraine that are uh, under uh, Kiev's control and parts that are under Moscow's control. And it was also uh, the, the moment at which the conventional forces uh, in Europe treaty uh, was signed. And the effect of that treaty was, was essentially to make it extremely difficult for any state in Europe to launch a war because it simply uh, couldn't uh, maintain enough forces. And uh, if it started mobilizing systems of inspection and verification would uh, come into play and uh, uh, allow uh, uh, counter movements uh, to stop the war to, uh, to begin. So, uh, well, that's, uh, in, in my view, the, the, the major uh, international uh, impact so far. The OSCE uh, organization has been destroyed. Uh, and that's just another way of saying we're in a new era, that uh, uh, Russia is at war with Ukraine. Uh, uh, and I'm going to argue soon with uh, 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 Europe, the European Union, and uh, I, I want to uh, make a distinction, this is almost impossible to make, between using this vague term uh, Europe, as Dean LaRue pointed out, you can that term is geographically and historically uh, uh, so fungible, it's hard to know what it means, but the European Union means some very definite things. Uh, it's uh, a key communautaire, its whole system of laws and, and regulations. The European Union is a uh, as Dean pointed out, it's, it's, a, it's a legal political organization for dealing with very specific uh, problems and, in, and trying to uh, assure certain standards uh, uh, here. So uh, the invasion of uh, that occurred in, in late January uh, by Russia really means that that's uh, uh, over, that, uh, that it's finished and we are in this new era. Um, I, I want to try to deal with uh, eight interconnected uh, issues, and I'll, I'll probably uh, uh, have to shorten everything as I go. The point is that uh, there are at least eight things, if not, which are all very much uh, interconnected uh, with each other now, uh, and they're all very explosive uh, issues. Uh, and uh, events can happen in any uh, one of these uh, particular places uh, because of the, uh, the self-contained nature of, of, of some of these, of, all, of each of these issues, but at the same time, they're, they're interconnected. Uh, Mark uh, Leonard, um, who runs a, a, the Council on European Affairs, which is a very pro-European uh, Union organization that now was based outside the European Union in, in London, last fall uh, 
which is shaping up as, a, as an interesting period now before the outbreak of the war. He, he uh, wrote a book called The uh, uh, Era of Unpeace. Uh, and it basically was arguing that a whole bunch of uh, issues, security, economic issues, sanctions, uh, cultural issues, some of which we're going to look at later today, uh, are, are now uh, interpenetrating each other in this zone of Western Eurasia. Uh, so that uh, uh, things that happen in Western Europe uh, affect what happens inside Russia and, and vice versa. And, and the barriers that separate uh, uh, these different nation states uh, are penetrable by political uh, movements, political constituencies uh, that uh, go across all of these borders. So it's all uh, uh, a very explosive situation and, and, and really uh, uh, impossible uh, uh, to predict. So what's the first thing that's uh, uh, happening here? Uh, is that Ukraine is in a brutal existential conflict uh, for its existence as a sovereign state with its own uh, distinct uh, political culture, uh, standards for human rights, for the organization of social and economic affairs and justice. Uh, and uh, a wide variety of Ukrainians, uh, all sorts of, uh, of people, including a lot of Russian speakers uh, uh, in cities that historically have been uh, dominated by Russian speakers, uh, Kharkov, I'm using the old Russian word, Kharkiv now, uh, Odessa, and so forth, uh, who have uh, uh, now identified themselves with the, this new project of an independent Ukraine with a political culture that's different uh, than that of Soviet Russia, different than that of Tsarist Russia. Uh, and and uh, this new Ukraine uh, wants to to be part of the European Union, with which it, with which it shares these many of these basic concepts with the uh, qualification that the Ukraine is going to have its own distinctive variation uh, on uh, on these matters. That's something that Dean Larue pointed out that education, culture, all sorts of things, environmental policies. Uh, uh, are are done on uh, national and local levels, and and this is the uh, project that is uh, underway uh, in Ukraine, uh, and and its its goal is to become a future member of of, uh, of the European Union. Um, uh, I, 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 I've got to keep this short. I think you can you can date this process to 2004 uh, at the Orange Revolution, uh, when uh, uh, a um, uh, leader and <laughs> suddenly uh, Yushchenko uh, 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 came to power briefly uh, 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 with a program of coming closer and closer uh, to the West, and that reflected his own prior career, his marriage to a Ukrainian-American woman who uh, was a citizen of Illinois, Chicago. Uh, and that, uh, at that point, uh, there was uh, a, 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 a conscious movement on the parts of, of large numbers of people in Ukraine across all regions to aim at European Union member, membership. Uh, that was the same year in which um, 10 new members 
joined uh, the European uh, Union, uh, eight of them former communist uh, countries, uh, including Poland, uh, Slovakia, uh, Romania. These are all countries that border on Ukraine and have had historically uh, close ties with them. And let me just jump ahead through all sorts of chaotic events in, in uh, Ukraine to 2014 when uh, 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 the uh, president, uh, Yanukovych, who was very closely associated with the prior Soviet regime, with uh, Putin's regime, uh, um, uh, reversed the policy of uh, headed uh, of closer cooperation with uh, the European Union through an association agreement. Uh, and this is what touched off the Maidan uh, revolution. Uh, and that's what touched off uh, Putin's uh, uh, sending of uh, uh, little green men in unmarked uniforms. Well, they're actually pretty good-sized uh, human beings uh, in, into uh, Crimea and staged this uh, military takeover, followed by uh, a staged political uh, ele election there, followed by an act of the R Russian Duma, the Russian parliament, to uh, admit Ukraine uh, into uh, Russia. That, that has a complicated history. At one point in the Soviet period, uh, the Crimea was a part of the Russian Federation. Uh, that We have all that history. But any, anyway, uh, to answer the question that came up at the end of the Glennis Young talk, uh, when did uh, 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 Putin invade uh, uh, Ukraine? The answer is very clear. In the spring of 2014, uh, annexing uh, Crimea and, and setting up these pseudo-revolts in, in Luhansk and Donetsk. Um, uh, and uh, so uh, that period uh, uh, was really transformative in, in Ukrainian uh, politics and culture. Uh, this involved a real war with people fighting uh, and being killed in considerable uh, uh, numbers from uh, 2014 to uh, 2022, and the crystallization of uh, uh, of an idea of a new Ukraine, uh, which saw a lot of Russian uh, speakers uh, enthusiastically uh, embracing the idea of living in Ukraine as a democratic society uh, likely to join the European Union and, and not being part of uh, Putin's Eurasian Economic Union and so forth. So um, let's, uh, so that's the first great issue that is here, the, the self-determination on the, on the part of uh, uh, Ukraine. And then this other uh, issue, which is just astonishing, Scott, uh, uh, Montgomery really caught this. The, the uh, uh, European uh, uh, Commission, uh, and, and actually all of the, uh, uh, the different bodies within the, the European Union, uh, emphatically coming out in favor of Ukraine's membership, establishing a special program, not only for Ukraine, but for Moldova, which is right next to the uh, 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 Ukraine. So, sooner or later, we'll get these maps to come up uh, for one reason or another. We, uh, I'm having difficulty getting both the maps and my uh, talk here on the same thing. This is a, an enormous event. This is a, a real gamble. This is almost a formal declaration of war uh, against Russia to uh, accelerate this process of uh, 
uh, accession to the European Union for two states and and, and upgrade the, uh, the the candidate status of, uh, of Georgia as well. Um, and why is this? Uh, uh, the uh, uh, this has all happened very recently, uh, and you can find all sorts of interesting things to read. But I, I think to me the main message is that uh, uh, the the members of the European Union uh, as states and then the central uh, agencies of the European Union have come to see this. Uh, uh, attack on Ukraine as a fundamental attack on, on the core uh, uh, principles that the European uh, Union uh, stands for. The rule of law, both at the international level, or let's just say the, the regional level of this vague zone called Europe, but the, the rule of law, uh, let's say in the uh, uh, zone of the OSCE uh, in general, and particularly within the European uh, Union and within European uh, Union states. This is what Putin has done by invading it, it, the number of treaties and agreements uh, that uh, have been violated here uh, 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 amounts to at least 10 major ones. I could go through these things. And, and so this, in the eyes of uh, Europeans is returned to the 1920s and 30s to the to the, uh, the Nazis uh, to Italian fascism at, at uh, annexation of uh, Czechoslovakia, uh, Italy taking over uh, uh, Libya. Uh, uh, these uh, a, a total breakdown of uh, of uh, international law. So this is really an existential. Uh, issue for the European Union. They, they've raised it to that level. Uh, these economic sanctions are a form of economic warfare. There's no other word for it. Uh, it's just short of, of uh, actual uh, warfare. Uh, and the European Union support uh, as member states giving uh, economic aid, military weapons, training soldiers, and so forth. Uh, this this is uh, a, an existential issue for the European Union, just as it is for uh, Ukraine. Now, the third issue here is uh, the stakes for the Putin regime. Uh, and, and this is now uh, an existential question for the Putin regime. Now, I want to make a distinction between that. It's not an existential question for Russia, uh, for Russian society, but it is an existential question for Putin, who wants to claim that essentially there's no difference between uh, uh, Russia uh, and Putin. One of his advisors in 2014 of Vladislav uh, Serko says, without, without uh, uh, Putin, there is no Russia. Uh, the way, uh, and that was in, in connection with the original invasion of, of Ukraine. So what Putin wants to uh, preserve uh, is a regime that is not like the Soviet Union. It's not like Stalin's um, Russia. Uh, it, this is an autocratic and kleptocratic society. Uh, that uh, uh, blends uh, uh, three uh, uh, incompatible uh, or at least very contested uh, ideologies. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, uh, there is uh, this conception of the Russian world, 
uh, in Russian, Ruski Mir. Uh, many of you uh, will recognize that phrase from the Western press and, and those of you who know Russian. Um, uh, and uh, 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 this is uh, a zone whose borders are elusive uh, and elastic. elastic. Uh, it certainly uh, includes uh, Ukraine uh, and uh, emphatically Belarus. Uh, it also seems to include areas uh, that uh, contain populations uh, uh, where there's significant numbers of Russian speakers, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, uh, Finland, uh, as well, uh, Moldova. Uh, and uh, uh, this is what alarms uh, uh, these states. Uh, this is why Finland and Sweden uh, have suddenly uh, applied for an, uh, a NATO uh, membership. Um, uh, uh, so there is that uh, uh, justification uh, for this war to operate in this particular zone. Now, at the same time, Putin created in 2012, 2013, something called the Eurasian Economic Union, uh, which has a kind of ideology of its own. It involves Central, Central Asian states, three of them, and plus Russia and Belarus. Uh, and Armenia, uh, and the ideology there is, is in many ways completely contrary to that of uh, uh, the Russian world. Uh, it's the idea, ideology of Eurasianism, uh, that the peoples of Eurasia uh, have uh, developed a special culture in which uh, Slavic uh, speakers of Slavic languages and speakers of Turkic languages and speakers of some exotic languages and the, the Caucasus uh, all share some kind of mystic uh, union. Uh, uh, there are Russian uh, uh, Eurasianist thinkers who, who, who talk about this. And the, the main thing about Eurasia is that it's not Europe, it's not Asia, it's, it's, it's something in between and, and uh, distinctive. Uh, and the problem with uh, Ukraine in 2014 was that uh, it was emphatically not going to be part of the Eurasian Economic Union. Uh, it was challenging that whole Eurasian uh, ideology uh, as well. Um, uh, Putin's uh, ideologists also have yet a third level of, of uh, ideological justification for all this stuff. It doesn't fit necessarily fit with the other two. It's all quite uh, confusing. Uh, Glenn has caught this well by saying Putin does not have any kind of coherent ideology, but he does have a, a, a set of ideologies that he can shift into at various times. And this is this extraordinary thing, the revival of a late medieval concept of, uh, of, of uh, Moscow as the third Rome, as a special center of Christianity, the only true uh, version of, of, uh, of Christianity. And this is, again, uh, 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 somehow fusing with this idea of whiskey mirror. They're, they're not... Uh, uh, exactly the same things. Both of them are vague, but they overlap in certain ways. And then I have to say that there are certain 
uh, Russian uh, theologians who, who interpret the same thing to mean uh, uh, an ideology which is, has nothing to do with state power, nothing to do with political organization. It's, it's purely a sharing certain ideas of, of uh, orthodox uh, Christianity, of all of, of the Christianity. Uh, I'll just add uh, one more comment on this that uh, uh, several months ago, about 1,500 uh, uh, theologians of various branches of the Orthodox uh, churches, uh, the, the Greek, Armenian, uh, Syrian, uh, uh, the, whole, the whole Orthodox uh, Christian world, uh, issued uh, sort of a, a, com a statement uh, denouncing both concepts. Uh, the, the Russian world concept uh, and the, the third Rome concept saying this has nothing to do with Christianity. This glorification of state power uh, is, uh, uh, in their view, uh, heresy. Uh, and uh, this involves the fact that the Russian Orthodox Church uh, and its head, uh, Kirill, the Patriarch of Moscow, is emphatically supporting this war on Ukraine. So all of these things are... Uh, 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 putting at risk uh, the the future of the P P Putin regime and and probably of the the current leadership of the Russian Orthodox Church here, um, and uh, they involve uh, uh, a bunch of ideas which are totally contrary to the, the secular uh, ideas of the European Union of democracy. Uh, of, of rule of law, all of these uh, other concepts uh, uh, involve uh, uh, basically patrimonial style uh, uh, power here. Um, so th this is an extraordinary uh, 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 development. Uh, I hope I'm not running uh, too late on, on time. Um, and I'm not, I don't think I'm going to get through all eight of these things. I will just. Uh, I, think, have, I think we have, we still have a, maybe 20, 22 minutes left and then, or 20 minutes and then some time for QA. All right. Well, that's so. what, what I'll do here is just add things that, uh, 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 having to do with uh, uh, to the significance of the year uh, 2021. Uh, uh, Scott. Uh, uh, Montgomery brought this up in terms of energy uh, policy, uh, that in July, uh, Putin issued uh, two remarkable documents. Uh, one, uh, I have uh, some of this uh, way below here, but I'll, I'll just uh, talk about now this statement about why uh, uh, Ukraine uh, is part of Russia, why Ukrainians are basically Russians, uh, even if they don't uh, know it. Um, and he used these concepts of uh, Ruski Mir. Uh, he also included the uh, uh, Ukrainian, uh, the, the Belarusians, and Belarusia as, as part of, uh, uh, of this uh, region uh, of the Russian world. But he also implied that there were populations uh, further west that belonged uh, in this uh, uh, Russian world. So we have that statement. When that, that's the closest thing that we have to an ideological charter for this declaration of war. But there was another statement, a very important one, uh, a statement uh, also issued in July by the Office of the President of the Russian Federation, a, a national security 
uh, statement. Um, to the best of my knowledge, uh, that's not available in English, but uh, a lot of you can get pieces of it. But the the full Russian version is there on the website of the president of the Russian Federation, uh, and uh, it's a uh, it is a sanitized document. It's not the real de detailed document. It was something. It's something for. Uh, uh, public release. So I'm, I'm not claiming that uh, I by reading that I understand uh, the, all the details of the national security strategy, but the, the general outlines uh, are there. And there, there are two uh, important points from that that uh, I, I want to stress. Uh, one is the uh, uh, readiness of uh, the Russian military to use uh, nuclear weapons, if it finds itself uh, in a military conflict that involves uh, NATO troops in a neighboring state. Uh, and the idea is that these uh, nuclear weapons would be used to force NATO to stop uh, its uh, military actions, which aren't specifically defined. Uh, NATO is supporting Ukraine with a lot of weapons right now and training. We're all aware of that. Um, uh, this, this doctrine talks about escalating to de-escalate. We're going to escalate the use of, the, of nuclear weapons uh, to, uh, to uh, making the war a much more serious one uh, on the part of Russia. And this will be to force the other side to de-escalate, essentially to uh, uh, except a Russian uh, conventional uh, victory. Um, so that's uh, extremely uh, 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 disturbing. The other part of this uh, national security doctrine, doctrine is that it seems to talk as much about internal threats within Russia as external threats. But you have to see that in this context of the Russian world in which the borders between Russia and Ukraine and Belarus are, are very elastic, uh, very uh, uh, elusive. Uh, uh, but it's essentially in some ways a declaration of a war on Russian uh, citizens, on Alexander Navalny, on uh, Vladimir, Vladimir uh, Kazamura, uh, other uh, people who want a, a democratic liberal uh, Russia. Uh, uh, Russia maybe uh, have a tradition of authoritarianism, but as, as uh, Glenn has pointed out there, there's a, another competing tradition as well. Well, this national security do document identifies those people as the enemy. Uh, and they can be arrested and put in jail for 15 years for opposing the war in Ukraine. So uh, it's very interesting that uh, Scott correlated this with a change in uh, a Russian energy policy. And the other issue that just came up uh, very recently was that uh, U.S. intelligence, uh, according to the Washington Post, uh, had decided that the uh, Putin was preparing a war in, uh, in the fall of 2021. I have to confess, I didn't believe it at the time. I thought he was just trying to create conditions in which it would be impossible for Ukraine to apply to membership for the European Union by supporting these independent republics in Donetsk and Luhansk and, and raising all of this ruckus about uh, uh, NATO uh, 
membership. But in any case, I think Putin is, is fully committed here. Uh, and we have a, a situation in which uh, uh, Western analysts and then all of these very knowledgeable, uh, 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 in some cases, very high-ranking people who've recently fled Russia uh, have a, a sort of consensus that the Putin regime cannot back down from this war. It cannot uh, accept a peace agreement. It, it has to fight this war uh, uh, to the end, whether that means the defeat of the Putin regime or the defeat of the Zelensky regime uh, remains to be seen. So it's an existential issue for Putin, uh, for Ukraine and the European Union. Uh, 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 and and this, is, uh, this is just a, a, an enormous and unpredictable uh, uh, crisis. Now, the other issue here involves NATO. And uh, how much time do I have left to say here that uh, um, uh, the European Union does present, at least now, an existential threat uh, uh, to uh, Russia. Uh, and uh, it, uh, I think that's really been the case since uh, the early uh, 21st uh, century, roughly 2004, from that uh, particular expansion of, of the European Union. Now, uh, once we get past the, two, uh, the 1995 enlargement of the European Union with Sweden, Finland, and Austria, every sing, uh, single member uh, of the new member of the European Union that has come from a communist uh, background of, of Western uh, Eurasia, either the Warsaw Pact or uh, Yugoslavia, uh, has had to join NATO first. So uh, Puto, Putin has been camouflaging his uh, existential conflict with the European uh, Union by claiming it's uh, about uh, NATO enlargement. But the fact has been that no state from a communist zone, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, Slovakia, Slovenia, you, you name it, uh, can meet uh, the very specific requirements of the European Union about not having border conflicts with neighbors, with being able to have a secure uh, situation regarding uh, its uh, military uh, security. You can't meet those requirements without first joining NATO. So uh, uh, Putin is essentially uh, hidden his argument with the European Union uh, uh, behind NATO membership. But NATO, I agree with Kotkin, it's not because of something that NATO has done. Uh, it's, it's rather uh, the, the, the whole existence of the, the European Union that's created the problem. Uh, and for former communist states to join the European Union, they've had to join NATO. Um, and I'll, I'll